0: Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato, where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, Albert, here we go again. We are still doing this still having fun um and today is exciting because I don't know about you but for me it's probably like the first time in the month it's been like a sunny nice day out uh, we've had snow for a lot of times and uh, it's accumulated about a foot outside uh, of us here so man uh, I'm hoping you're having some fun um you're telling me you're going to the city in a little bit so uh, how's it been man how's upstate yeah we're coming up uh
1: March will be uh, March will be uh what a year at the a house a year
0: man yeah. yeah
1: so just as we uh get a year of uh of pandemic time living in the country um will be um i think i've been back to the city four or five times for a total of like five nights that i've stayed over so not not a lot of time in the city but come on now we got to be a little excited it is the return of spring hmm Coming up, I mean, winter's only got four calendar weeks or whatever it is, but but let's. There's little glimmers. You're hearing glimmers of change in the situation with the pandemic. So I'm hearing everything from, oh my God, you know, maybe the fall will be a normal, a normal thing for for some uh, concert halls, which is going to be good for me for my work. Um, and we're going to see, you know, there's we're going to see some rebirth. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see just how fast it all comes back. And how fast we all return to our really dumb ways when we don't learn any of the lessons that we just were <laughs> supposed to learn from being in isolation for a year. But anyway, I'm I'm really kind
0: of feeling a little bit of hope. How about you? Yeah, same here. I am very optimistic about you know the next couple seasons. I mean, I just feel like we kind of got to bite the bullet through the rest of the winter. Um, it's it's been a uh, it's been a long and hard one. Uh, just like you said, it's been about a year since we've been doing this and uh, I'm just looking forward to just going out and exploring. I feel like I've, I've kind of had the same routine for so long that like, man, I just want to like go places and explore. Um, maybe not so much inside, but uh, I really want to just go hiking and just be outside and experience nature and just kind of shake everything up because uh, I need a little bit of that in my life. Yeah, it's 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 a double
1: double hit at this time of year. Winter is already a tough time in the Northeast, uh, in particular um, in the north of the, the states um with the with the winter weather it's really incredible how different the lifestyle is of people who live in places that are, are warm year round but then there's the the the, the tragedy of what just what happened in Texas of place places that aren't used to the severe wind uh, weather so uh, we give a little shout out to our buddies uh, in Texas and hoping that they're all back to normal uh, normal pandemic life instead of pandemic life plus the horror of no power and no water and everything else that they've had to endure. So we, we send our prayers down that direction. Um, so let's, you want to turn to our show today. We have a special yeah. guest. I'm really excited the, about this one. <laughs> another one of the denim, one, another, another, one of the denim dudes, um, 32 ounce salvage. Uh, you could look up his Instagram feed if you want, as we, as you follow along, um, Chuck, you're going to introduce him, read his bio. And, um, I guess I'll just tell you briefly that I the reason that we're talking to Chuck today is that um, he posted a very honest uh, post about how much better it was that he wasn't drinking. Uh, and it was one of those posts that were just, it was very, just very direct. And I remember reading it and thinking, this is a good one for us to repost in our feed, which I did. But then I caught at the top that he works at a brewery and I'm like, Oh my god this guy's not drinking and he's working in a brewery that's like that's like being a working in a bakery and you're not going to taste the cupcakes that's really that's kind of a temptation so i was fascinated by that so i i asked chuck to chat and we, we dm'd and then we talked and then he started telling me his story and it was one of those oh my god holy smokes kind of stories and he's a really likable uh guy we had a great conversation and it was very very cool of him to come on the show Uh, We don't know each other well. We're going to know him a lot lot better after today.
0: Right on. So let me go with the intro here. Now 31 years old, Charles Stockstrom was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and married his high school sweetheart four years ago. He studied at the World Brewing Academy in Chicago, Illinois, and Munich, Germany, and has been professionally brewing since 2012 at perennial artisan Ales in St. Louis. Before that, he was a self-described hippie hanging out at the local community college ceramic studio, making and selling his work. He loves warm weather so he can be outside with his wife and two pit bulls, enjoying hiking, kayaking, swimming, fishing, or doing yard work. Chuck loves traveling and seeing places and having new experiences, before the pandemic and hopefully soon again. I'm deeply connected to music, he tells us, and I find myself lost in all sorts of songs that inspire me as well as help me through hard times. I think I'd go crazy without music. Despite being a brewer, he hasn't drunk in almost nine months. It's the best decision I've ever made, he explains, for my family and more importantly for myself. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. Hi guys, glad to be
1: here. Chuck, uh, Chuck, despite your beautiful honesty in in some of your posts, I mean, each one really there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, feeling that you put into it, and you share a lot. Um, I wanted to just say you're you're our hero for another reason. Um, you, when I mentioned we do the the interview by Zoom, you're like I haven't used Zoom yet. So I'm just I was just like, my God, a year into the pandemic, he hasn't used Zoom. He's like he's the coolest dude ever. <laughs> so yeah, I'm
2: pretty, I'm, I'm pretty disconnected from the world this past year. I mean, uh, work life is very normal, but uh, I go to work and I come home and. And that's about it. I, yeah, I haven't been on Zoom yet. I have not FaceTime called anybody. Uh, I don't know. I've been, I've been living in my own world for the last year, kind of.
1: <laughs> with, with, did you add a little level onto that just by design, just because that's your preference? You did sort of tell me that you have a little bit of a shy side to you. Or is it just the simple, this is the lifestyle that we've been leading and, and uh, you know this, this is how it played out for you?
2: Um, no, historically, um, I, uh, I've not connected with people very well. Um, just in the sense that I've, um, what am I trying to say? Prior, prior to me sobering up, I, I didn't have a lot of desire to meet new people. I didn't have a lot of desire to connect with people um but just in the last last few months um you know i just happened to sober up during the pandemic um where i'm disconnected from everybody but now i find myself um missing people and i find myself wanting to build new relationships uh, and realizing that i do actually want to be a part of the world and um so i'm I'm starting to come out of my shell at thirty one years old is what it is,
1: <laughs> yeah, you said to to me when we talked last week that the more that you've been talking to people, including strangers uh, and and people on instagram, that you you're you're seeing that it's playing a, a good good part and a positive role in your in your life and i that I think that's really great. That's taking advantage really taking advantage of the moment and, and uh, challenging yourself. And it seems like it's, it's paying, paying off for you. I, I, as we drilled down and you told me your story, I mean, it was clear, you know, you've, you've, you're 31, but you've kind of had a lifetime of, of stuff that's happened. And, you know, the, one of the first thing you told me that was so powerful, um, was that you lost your dad. Uh, when he was at a, quite a young age, uh, you mentioned that he that he died at age 28, and you kind of quickly told me that he died because of alcohol, which that was just shocking for me to hear the first time that I talked to you, and and I learned that fact. So, um, I mean, not not to dive in the deep end, but tell us a little bit. I mean, your dad died at 28, so how old were you when your dad died? Um, I was four
2: when he passed. Um, my parents split when I was two. Um, so I don't really have, uh, any clear memory, um, of us all being a cohesive family. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he passed when I was four. Um, he, he had a bad drinking problem from the time he was, uh, in high school, from what I understand. And, uh, he just kept sliding farther and farther down down the slope. And I understand he went to rehab, you know, multiple times and nothing stuck. And he just kept drinking until his liver gave out. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I uh,
1: I didn't even realize that, that your liver could give out at 28. I assumed like,
2: well, it's, it was alcohol poisoning, just over drinking you know at some point your liver can't process as much as you're putting in and it just stops
1: so your your dad passed away and your you it was you and siblings yeah i have
2: a i have a younger brother he's 18 months uh younger than me and then my mother of course
1: okay that was that's the same difference between me and my my older brother we were 18 months apart and and you um said your mom did remarry that the first remarriage uh did was was it not a great one it was uh not a not a positive relationship, as far as I can remember, you telling me.
2: No, that um, I mean, I was I was of course, you know, happy that she had found somebody else and had a partner, and I was excited at the potential of having a father figure, of course. But um, he turned out to be not so great. Um, I don't <clears throat> I don't really know because I was so young. I was they were married. Um, or I should say they were together between my ages of six and 12 or 13. Um, so I really don't, you know, I don't know how positive their relationship was, but when I remember he started out, you know, being a pretty nice guy, but things, things shifted pretty quickly. If I caused my brother or I, you know, caused my mother, any sort of stress, um, or didn't have our rooms, you know, cleaned up as well as it should, or by a certain time or blah, 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 um, We were getting beat with a belt. And uh, that progressed over the years until, you know, he was physically, I mean, he was hitting me with his hands. Um, he started to lay off my brother and I seemed to become more of his focus as the older one.
1: Did you have any sense that his behavior was tied to any uh, substance Issues or was it, I mean, did you ever get a, any handle whatsoever on what his issue actually was?
2: I've reflected on it extensively over the years, trying to understand where he was coming from. Um, and he didn't, he didn't have any uh, substance issues that I know of. Um, you know, he was, he, I think I only saw him drink one time. We had a fully stocked bar, but it was something that, you know, was just there for entertaining. Alcohol wasn't really a part of our household um but um we spent we spent a good amount of time at his father's house down in Potosi Missouri which is very very country compared to St. Louis I mean it's step back 50 years <clears throat> in time sort of country and uh I think the way that uh he raised us treated us was was a direct reflection of his upbringing um after meeting his father and and seeing you know kind of how he acted in their relationship um you know as i reflect back i think you know it's it was it was a product of his upbringing he thought that was the right thing to do
1: and then eventually your they split right Uh, your your mom and and he split
2: yeah as um as the abuse got worse, I, I would like to think, I think that was probably the breaking point for my mother. I can, you know, I have a very, very vivid memory of what I believe is one of the last times he was in the house and, um, he was beating the hell out of me and my mother was screaming behind him, uh, for him to stop. And that's one of the last memories I have of him being in our house.
0: That is, that is tough. Um, I know the, the leather belt very well. Uh, That was a a form of discipline in our houses too. So yeah, um, that's tough, man. There's no, no real, you know, coming around with it because if that's how you were raised and, you know, a a couple of my friends that, you know, have, have had this conversation too, is like, you know, this happened, how, how bad was it for my parents, you know? Um, and, and that kind of like cycle that's going on and, um, just kind of like trying to understand that, but understanding it doesn't make it right. And doesn't make it feel good and doesn't take back all those beatings. Um, you know, whenever you were that young, um, did you know it it was like malicious and just angry or you know, did it just feel like discipline? Um, I'm just kind of curious, because for me, it was like, I did something wrong, I'm the worst, you know, but was that really necessary for, you know, a a missed homework or being late or or being untidy? Um, how, How was like, how did it make you feel just, you know, receiving that kind of discipline?
2: I think I thought it was normal at first, because you don't know any different, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily see it as malicious, but the bottom line is you're, you know, six, seven, eight years old, even 10, 11, 12, and you're staring down a 250 pound man and you're scared shitless. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know if it felt malicious at first, but it, it definitely ended up there. I mean, I can remember running, physically sprinting from him um, to get away because I was so fucking scared. Like it, it definitely got malicious. Um, and I didn't feel like it was warranted. Um, you know, it, it, who cares if my room was cleaned up by 6 PM or if it was cleaned up by 6 30. Um, you know, but he, I guess he felt like he had to prove a point and eventually he, started his own, uh, company that allowed my mother to stay home with us. Um, which was, which was awesome, but because she was home more, she was, she was the one that was really raising us and any grief that I caused her at all that he heard about instantly resulted in a beating.
1: So did, did he disappear from the family, and you never saw him again, or was it a, a, a somebody that you actually ran into would see later in any way? Just gone? That he was just gone?
2: No, he's gone,
1: and, just like and, that. And your mom, your mom did, uh, and she's now got a boyfriend. I don't think she remarried, right?
2: No, she has not remarried since.
1: So, so you said to me uh, last week when we talked that that you your teen was your teens were a bit of a blur. Um, and so, so tell us a little bit about how you started, uh, drinking. How did that happen? Was that escape from this, this situation or was that late a, a bit later on? When did you start connecting with alcohol?
2: Um, I actually didn't start drinking until I was about 20. Um, but I dove into hard drugs, uh, pretty heavily in high school. Um, I was, a, a it was it was definitely a blur. It was a it was handfuls of pills and cocaine and heroin. And I was a very curious teenager. I I always wanted to try drugs. Um, I was I was part of the Dare era, which was supposed to educate us away from drugs, but I think it made a lot of us very very curious about drugs. Um, and I was one of those people. So, uh, yeah, I started doing drugs, and I, I found that I liked drugs, and so uh, I did you know i played around i experimented a lot and i found you know i fell into some some pretty deep dark ruts um through high school and uh i was i went through a rehab program um and came out of that and and didn't stop doing drugs um there was really i don't know there was no conscious decision of when i when i stopped Messing around with all that stuff, but I did start drinking at about twenty um, that was correlated uh to the ceramic studio i had, I dropped out of college or sorry dropped out of high school at seventeen uh, the first week of my senior year and when I went ahead and enrolled in the community college right away for the winter semester um, ended up picking up a ceramics class uh, that I thought would just be a fun elective uh, and really fell in love with ceramic work and um, so I buried myself in there for a couple of years, um, more like three years. But anyways, we had a habit, you know, there was a really fun community of guys in there, and we had we had a habit of we'd sit at the wheel all day, make him work, you know, spend eight or ten hours in the studio, and then we would go get something to eat and get a couple beers. Um and yeah, that's that's where my relationship with alcohol started. Um and that just kind of progressed. Um, you know, as, as I told you, I think last week, uh, when I realized I wanted to be a brewer or when I thought it might be a good idea was in one of those post studio, post studio, um, beer hangouts. I was looking back at the brew house and I saw a guy working back there and I thought to myself, well, maybe, maybe that's what I want to do for a living. Um, I still get to be creative. And I get to make stuff with my hands, but, um, but I don't, I don't have to live the uh, artist lifestyle as far as not knowing when my next paycheck's coming. You know, I, I had been doing that. I'd been making and selling my work and I knew how, um,
0: like feast or famine it was.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I didn't want to spend the rest of my life doing that. So I started thinking about, you know, other opportunities, uh, other things that I could do that I could still be creative and still, physically work hard and make things. And I just kind of dove into brewing. Um, that's when I signed up for the World Brewing Academy, um, where I would never made a batch of beer in my life when I decided to sign up for that. And a lot of my friends at the time uh, had a lot of questions about me signing up to be a brewer um, because they know they knew my, my history, my childhood history. They knew that my father passed, um, from alcohol. And so there was multiple people that asked me, do you think this is a good idea? Do you really think you should be doing this? And at that time, alcohol was still very casual. It was, you know, two, three, four beers, fine, done, go to bed. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a thing. I thought I had it under control. And, uh, so yeah, I started brewing, and um that relationship with alcohol just uh it it declined. Um I uh I, mean, I had a lot of fun drinking for a lot of years. Um and you know, I just didn't <clears throat> I was having so much fun that I always wanted to have fun. And I have a terribly addictive personality. Anything that anything that I start to like, I uh, I fall in love with pretty quickly. And unfortunately that happened with alcohol. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, that was 20 to 30 The last 10 years, uh, was a lot of, you know, heavy drinking that just continued to get heavier and heavier, which, you know, led me into some really dark depressive states. Um, of being in the vicious cycle of drinking and being hungover, and then drinking to feel better and feel better physically and feel better emotionally. I always woke up with horrible anxiety about what did I say? What did I do? Um, and I drink to forget that just to wake up the next morning being like, Holy shit. I don't remember yesterday either. What the hell did I say? What did I do? It was just this horribly vicious cycle that, it just got darker and darker and darker.
1: And and during some of this time you were in a relationship.
2: Yeah. So crazy enough. Um, my wife has, you know, we met when I was 14 and she was 16, um, which is kind of a funny story that maybe we should loop back to in a minute. But um, yeah, we met when we were teenagers and, you know, through my, through my teenage years, as high schoolers are and you know i was busy doing whatever i wanted to do our relationship was a little strained and whatnot it was on and off but um yeah she i mean since we we moved in moved out together when i was uh when i was 20 right before i started into beer school um and she's been around through all this and she is she's incredible for putting up with me and still standing by, um, you know i I can only think to myself that she always has seen the potential in me and has had the patience and hope uh, that I reach that potential
1: so tell tell us how, how did it happen that you what Did she confront you about it? Did you just wake up one morning feeling particularly horrible and just say, this has to stop? What actually turned the corner for you? How did you turn that corner?
2: Well, I knew I had to stop drinking for a couple of years um, before I actually did stop drinking. Um, and yeah, you, just, you realize at one point that it's just not working anymore. You know, life... The party's not fun anymore, you know. And I <clears throat> I absolutely knew that I had to sober up long before I actually did. So and uh, working in the job that I do in the industry that I do, you know, I'm not I'm not putting a hundred percent on the of the blame on that, but it definitely made it harder to get it together when um I was surrounded by alcohol every day. Um, but I had from the time I realized you know I needed I needed to clean up Um, you know I don't I don't remember you know the exact moment in time the first time that I realized I had to stop drinking because it was I mean that was a circular thought for years on end is I have to stop drinking I have to stop drinking and I I took multiple stabs at it. I'd have a 30 day stint or a 50 day stint or a 60 day stint and then decide to crack a beer for one reason or another, and then lose, you know, multiple months before I'd have another 30 day stint. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the last time I drank, it was, it was nothing, nothing traumatic. Um, it was, it was a Thursday at work. Um, it was, nice and sunny. and My cousin had come up uh, to hang out and I was chit-chatting with him and I hadn't had a beer in a while, maybe a couple weeks. And I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll have a couple beers with my cousin. And I don't know, I probably had two or three or four beers and I came home, my wife was home and she smelled the alcohol on me immediately. And it wasn't it wasn't that she was upset that I had drank it. What finally, what clicked with me that last time, I guess is the like she, she always told me how much it changed my personality. I wasn't, I wasn't the same person when I drank and what clicked with me that time, I guess, is i had only had a couple beers. I didn't consider myself to be drunk and she still saw the shift in my personality. And so I went from having, you know, What I thought was a casual good time on the patio to coming home and realizing I disappointed my wife. And I can't count how many times I disappointed my wife over the last two years. And I just I decided that time that it was okay, I'm done. This isn't the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore. Um, you know, I wanted I wanted more from my life. I wanted I wanted a happy life at home and the minimal pleasure that i was getting from alcohol at that point was was not worth the chaos it was creating in my relationship um and little did i know you know getting months and months down the road um you know at first i did kind of think that i was sobering up for her um but it's months down the road. It's, you know, it's the best thing that I could have ever done for myself. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm finally discovering myself at 31 now that I've come out of a substance induced
0: fog. Yeah, man. I mean, dude, congratulations, man. Like that's, that's huge. Yeah. That is super huge. And, uh, you know, I, I want to celebrate that with you. You said, uh, you were, you know, you changed as a person and, you know, your wife noticed that difference, and um, you know, any type of substance will, will do that to you. I mean, it changes the, you know, the kind of chemicals in your brain. Now that you've been uh, sober for a while, what were some of like the, the key differences that you've noticed with yourself, uh, like with your emotions um, and with your relationships? Um, How, how has that changed? And I hope for the better.
2: Yeah, everything is much better for sure. I mean, the first thing that came comes to mind is everything's stable now. It was, it was absolute chaos when I was drinking, you know, it. she didn't know what I was going to be like. She didn't know what to expect from me. Um, and my emotions were, they were all over the place. My, you know, I was, I spent so, so much time in my own head while I was drinking and it was, it was not a happy place to be. Um, and so in turn, you know, my relationship with my wife was complete chaos because I was constantly mad at myself and I would take it out on her or she'd be, you know, she'd get upset with me and that would, you know, just, it would crush my world and either leave me in bed all day, hiding under the sheets or send me back out drinking. Um, and uh, Yeah. The biggest, the biggest takeaway, you know, almost nine months later is there's, there's stability in my house. Now, you know, there's stability in my relationship, there's stability in my emotions. Um, you know, that's not, that's not to say that everything's all peaches and roses all the time because it's not, but, but things, things are drastically better, um, than they were.
0: That's, great to hear man um and just to kind of follow up on that i mean did you and your wife ever have like kind of like a closure conversation about like you and drinking and then like putting it behind and you know looking to the future um because that seems like it, it was a pretty big obstacle in your relationship now that you're past it like has there been like hey remember this and and now go to go forward um, or is it just like a day to day thing?
2: We definitely reflect on the past uh, a bit. It helps me to note the accomplishments that I'm making and we're making because that that proves to me that what what I'm working for is worth something much greater. We I I thank her constantly. It's that's a there's not been a singular closure conversation because it's almost a daily conversation. You know, it's, we were both so grateful for um, me getting my ass together and the life that we have now that it really is almost a daily conversation like this. We wouldn't be here if I had not stopped drinking, we wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be doing that it's a very present thing in our household. It is still very much day to day. Um, in the sense that sobriety is extremely fragile and, you know, things could shift in the snap of a fingers. And, and I realize that. And so that keeps us very grateful for, um, what we have and what we've accomplished at this point.
1: I'm just, um, really hearing so many positive messages. Um, from everything you're saying, it almost seems like you've achieved such clarity about what happened. It's um it almost seems remarkable to me that you didn't have professional help that you didn't have. I, I, it seems like you processed a lot of family angst and trauma and um, substance issues. And you, your level of clarity about it is just so enormous. what, Where does, where do you think that comes from? Is it, is, are you, you said sometimes that you were able to be in your own head for a long period of time. Are you just very analytical and can see yourself objectively? Why, what made you able, what do you, why do you think you were able to process so many things that can trip up other people really for a lifetime, essentially?
2: I don't think I'm special in any sort of way. That's for sure. (laughs) I think, um, you know, I am, I'm very analytical and critical of myself. So I spent a lot of, a lot of time assessing myself and my own behavior. And I spent a lot of time thinking about who I wanted to be and what I didn't like about myself and what I wanted to change about myself. And that's all good and dandy. And I think everybody does that, but if you stay trapped inside your own head, you you're probably not going to get real far. Um, I feel like I really started, you know, the first few months of me being sober were, they were almost worse than when I was drinking because I was still trapped inside my own head. I wasn't talking to anybody about anything. And I was just, I was dealing with all this shit internally and it was, it was destroying me inside, but things really started to change. Um, my wife has been, she's just so, she's been critical in so many ways in, in my recovery, but she is amazing about um, pulling me outside of my own head. And as I started to open up to her, you know, I started getting different perspectives from her and just, you know, saying things out loud is so healing and I don't think people realize that I actually, I mean, before I really started talking to her, I started journaling and just writing things down stuff that was going through my head and that felt good. So then I started talking to my wife and that felt even better. And that's when, that's when I felt like I really started to grow, um, and, and evolve. Um, and then the final layer of the cake is talking to people like you, Albert, you know, essentially, Telling strangers my story, this is uh, this is group therapy for me. It's a it's a very this interview is is very good for me on a selfish level because the more I talk about these things, the more normalized in my head they become, and and just letting it out of my body feels so good.
1: I think it's a gr- a kind of group therapy for us as well. Yeah, but I can just assure you that what you're sharing is something that people listening are going to find uh, liberating. I mean, we get really beautiful notes from people specifically saying, oh, I had this particular issue and I heard this interview with so-and-so and it really made a huge difference for me. That's, you know, and I'm, just, I'm wondering maybe if you want, if you could say something to, to someone who's listening, who's maybe uh, sitting there wondering if they have the strength um or and the dedication to to make a change that they need to make is there any 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 little words of advice inspiration um uh, any anything that you'd like to say to them directly
2: um no absolutely um to anybody that's that's struggling with these things it is it's the hardest thing that I have ever done and it's one of the hardest things I imagine anybody can do and it will be it it will feel impossible the first day. It'll feel impossible the first week. It'll feel impossible for the first month. Um, still thinking about today, staying sober for the rest of my life. It seems impossible, but it, you just keep plugging on. That's I want. I want to encourage anybody that that has taken the first step to get sober and has stopped drinking. And I know it sucks at first, and I know it can be even more depressing when you stop drinking, but you have to continue on that path for it to get any lighter. Um, My days got much, much darker before they got lighter, but I just kept not drinking every single day. And the, the clouds start to fade away. Um, there's not, at least for me, there was no moment in time where it's like, wow, everything's much better now that I'm sober. But every day, little things start to shift in your life and you'll wake up almost nine months later and look in the mirror and be like, holy shit, I can't believe what I've accomplished. I can't believe how much I've changed in the last nine months. So it's, you know, I've never, um, I've never been part of the Alcoholics Anonymous program, but they preach one day at a time. And that is, I mean, that's the truth behind it. Um, just get through today and then tomorrow will be here. And all you have to do is get through tomorrow and just know that it does get better. It gets easier. Um, and it's fucking worth it.
0: Definitely, man. It sounds like you've built tremendous momentum in your life and uh, things are really moving for you. And that is great to hear. Um, I mean, a- anyone who can overcome that has just, you know, uh, another tool in their tool belt to to deal with challenge and deal with change. Um, you said in the beginning, you know, there's a lot of, you know, strife with the family. Um, you know, your mom, your younger sibling, were in all those situations. Um, has there been any, you know, family discussions about that and and what it's done? Um, since, since all that's happened. Um, Cause I know for me, like my parents never talked about that stuff with me. Um, I never got like the, Oh, Hey, this is why we did this when we were, when you were younger. And, you know, now that we're older, we can, you know, have a normal conversation. I, I never got that. So, you know, when I hear a, a similar situation um, you know, that's kind of a, a question that I have is like, was there any um, you know, discussion post all of that trauma Um, to ever really kind of bring the family back around.
2: I just, I never really processed any of that trauma through, you know, childhood trauma through my teens and twenties, because I was numbed up with whatever substance of choice. So I didn't have to think about any of it, but I've started processing all this stuff. Um, you know, all the trauma from my childhood, I, uh, I've known that it's essential to talk to my mother about it in order for me to heal. Um, and that's probably one of the most difficult conversations I'll ever have. And we've, we've started to talk about it. Um, and she's acknowledged that, you know, she's acknowledged that my childhood was fucked up and it is largely in part due to her decisions. Um, but we haven't gotten much farther than that. And I'm not sure that I I need to get much farther than that. Um. The acknowledgement and the I'm sorry is enough for me to allow us to start rebuilding our relationship. I just, that gave me some sense of closure, her acknowledging, yeah, this, that shit wasn't right. um, And I'm so sorry. So I did. So, yeah, I guess I I did get, (laughs) you know, just in the last few months we have, we've started to talk about these things and we may talk about them more and we may not. Um, but it has, it's been acknowledged with me. Um, I'm sorry to hear that it, it has not been acknowledged for you because that, I feel like that's uh, part of the process of healing. You know, you, it's not a comfortable conversation. It was one of the hardest sentences that I ever had to, speak, bringing up this topic with my mother. Um, but it was freeing as well because you can't keep it all trapped inside.
0: No, you can't, man. Um, and you know, that's, that's what a lot of my therapy's for, but I mean, freedom is, is really the, the feeling, um, that I seek personally is just feeling, free of just, you know, all of that skirting around it, all the unsaid things and kind of just waiting for it to, uh, you know, blow over. Um, and then, you know, things just kind of go unsaid and then creep back to normalcy. Um, so I'm really happy for you that, that you started the conversation and that it was acknowledged, um, because healing, I mean, that's exactly what it is. The, the first thing is, is kind of recognizing it and acknowledging it. Um, so that's huge man. I mean that's that's two huge things that have happened to you um in the last 9 months and it looks like it's uh only uphill from there. Um I mean in a good way it's going up. <laughs> right. Right. Um But yeah, uh that's amazing man. So you Thank know you. When, when you have all these wins um that you've got, you know, what does the next year look like for you? Like where, you know, how does it get even better from now?
2: I don't know. I just know that I have to, I have to stay humble and appreciate and be grateful for everything that I have, and uh, things will continue to get better. But I, I don't look too, too far into the future, um, because then I start getting anxious and I start getting worried about whether I'll even make it there or not. Um, so. I spend I spend a lot of time just in the present and enjoying being here and now. And that's not to think, not to say that I don't think about the future. Um, but I don't know. I don't have any massive plans, uh, at least that I'm ready to share about 2021. Um, but things are things are going to keep going up this year.
1: I have this really powerful feeling that really the the maximization of. The maximizing of our present day, the day right here and now, is the surest way of healing the past and making for the bright future, because that, that's the moment that we actually exist. We exist r- right now at this moment is the time that we, we have to live our life. And I'm encouraged by what you said, because I think there's a really strong message there that it's really the, the acknowledgement and forgiveness that are the great powers that we have, um, on both sides, your, your mom acknowledging things, your, you acknowledging things, and and your ability to forgive because there's, I think, a, um, locked up into people, uh, this anger that can uh, ne- basically never be dissipated. You took something from me. I mean, our politics are driven by it. You've taken something from me that I can't get back. And the truth of the matter is, that's what forgiveness is. Uh, forgiveness is you you're able to start fresh without having to do an accounting of every single back and forth that's ever happened because there is no balancing out what happened in the past you can't fully balance it out you can make peace with it and you could forgive someone but you can't you can't undo what it was so i was very encouraged, i was really encouraged hearing hearing that language from you Um, I also just the other image in my mind, hearing you talk about your life was like watching, was watching a frozen landscape that's defrosting, just watching what was uh, icy patches turning into, into gardens. And I just had this very strong nature. I know nature is very important to you. You take your dogs out and you and your, your, your gal go out with the dogs and enjoy nature. Um, I just had a very strong feeling of nature. No things returning, life full, uh, coming into places that maybe formerly were, were were deadened by an addiction or by um, any anything that might have been keeping you from from living the, living your your potential. So uh, just one thing you mentioned to me last time we talked was that you're you're actually getting ready for a. Uh, tough mutter course. I mean, some kind of, it's like, it's like an obstacle, <laughs> oh, obstacle yeah, I course. I am mentioning it too, because I mean, you <laughs> got to be in good physical shape for that. So like, clearly like, you know, that that's like a sign. Is there, is there a little bit of a, a symbol to it that you're doing it? Did you feel like that's going to be a good way to mark a little bit of the progress I've made or, or am I reading too much into that?
2: Oh no. Um, no, I guess it's it's definitely a mark of of progress I've made in some sense. Uh, coincidentally, it's like two weeks before um, I'll have a full year of sobriety, um, so I guess it kind of marks a one year sober. Um, but also, uh, I could I wanted to do this race for the last ten years. It's a it's a ten mile race with twenty five. Gnarly obstacles. I mean, we're talking about like ice baths that you got to jump in, ice pools, and rope walls, and just all think of like a, a military obstacle course on steroids. Is that's at least what I'm envisioning in my mind, um, and it's muddy all over. And anyways, I could have never committed to that um, over the last ten years because God knows what shape I would have been in physically. And I don't. I've always been physically pretty well fit but if i was drinking who knew i mean i i would have been dying uh halfway through the race uh from drinking too much the night before or something like that so this this year i signed up for it because i know that i will have a clear mind and a strong body come may um and there's no questions about that it's just it's just a fun something that has always been on my radar um, just a, a notch in the belt, if you will, to say that I've done it because it looks fun. And
1: will you um, be doing the course in 32-ounce selvage, or you actually no. <laughs> get, you, you actually get no. out of those jeans once in a while? No, yeah. I uh, No, I won't be running the course in jeans. I'm, so, I'm, so for the people out there who are not selvage heads uh, and denim heads, uh, 32 ounces of denim what, how does that compare to the average, like you go in a store and buy a pair of Levi's in a Levi's store, you know, how, how heavy is 32 ounces?
2: Uh, it's like three pairs of store-bought Levi's. Yeah. <laughs> three times the thickness. Your Levi's on the shelf are going to be 10, 12 ounces, and these are 32. So, um, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> monsters. Um, what,
1: what is the sole benefit of a jean that heavy? If I may ask that question.
2: Uh, I mean, is there really a benefit to a jean that heavy? (laughs) Um, I mean, they, I can tell you, they keep me warm, but so do other jeans. I put leggings under my 32 ounce (laughs) jeans, so they can't keep me that warm by themselves. Um, but I don't know. I, when I got into salvage denim, I started getting into the heavier weight stuff and I just kept creeping up the ladder 25 27 I had a pair of 27s last year from brave star that I wore through the winter I was like oh I really like this like it it makes you feel invincible like you got armor on right Uh, (laughs) I work in a brewery around 185 degree water being thrown all over the place and chemicals and this and that so it feels like an extra layer of protection um but also I just kind of like the way heavyweight denim feels they uh now that they're broken in, they were impossible to break in, uh, and they hurt like hell. And I'm surprised I still have my feet because when I sat down, I would lose circulation to my feet. Um, but now that they're broken in, they're like a really heavy pair of sweatpants. They're awesome, especially after I put them through the wash one time. They really softened up, and, and they're great now. Um, but the only reason I decided to start wearing those jeans was for this Indigo Invitational um, that's being hosted by some guys this year. And so, well, if I'm going to wear one pair of jeans for the year, I'm going to get darn near the heaviest pair of jeans that I can. Um, and I'm already starting to blow through the crotch on those. So uh, I i don't know. I'm just mean to pants, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and that
2: brewery job, apparently. Yeah, the brewery, the brewery tears pants up bad. Actually, there's two other guys that are in the competition with me in the brewery, and one of them rip their crotch out something furious, uh, two days ago. Um, but all we do, I mean, it's constantly hot and humid. Um, and all we do is squat, kneel, crouch, bend like, it. and, you know, just to make a batch of beer, you're hauling 55 pound bags of grain upstairs to dump in the mill. You do that a hundred plus times in a shift. I mean, pants just don't really stand a chance in a brewery.
0: Oh man. Well, you're definitely putting them through the paces. Uh, we're, we're enjoying the fades online and, uh, you know, seeing the progress, but I think, uh, for us over here, it's, uh, more seeing your personal progress, man. So we're, we're super happy for you. And, um, we, we want to see you through and wishing you the best with the, the invitational as well as the, uh, the tough mutter competition as Thank we you kind guys. Of, uh, <laughs> come to a close on this show. Um, is there, uh, any last things that you kind of want to say to our audience today?
2: Yeah be good and stay positive and be good to each other and be kind to each other because there's not our society does not normalize, uh, what we're doing right now, this male to male support and connecting and talking and whatnot. And the world would be a much better place if we were just kinder to each other and more accepting and more forgiving and had a little bit more patience. And, uh, didn't spend our entire lives only trying to please ourselves.
0: Right on, man. Uh, that is a, a great way to end it. Um, Albert, do you have any last closing words before I uh, wrap it up? No, but
1: I just love when I just get a vibe that someone's wonderful and cool, and then you talk to them twice, and like after two conversations, you know that you're going to want to know them forever. I mean, you're just such a really decent, beautiful guy, and uh, we're looking forward to this pandemic going away and um, i don't know maybe adam and i were talking uh we're talking road trip and a little uh, a little denim hang at the at, at your place and the oh at hell the brewery. Yeah. i mean that would really be awesome maybe live show hell oh, yeah. yeah that would be so awesome anyway yeah. so thank you for taking time on a saturday we're gonna let you return to to your uh your pleasures uh just can't thank you enough chuck you're an amazing guest and you're welcome to come come back in the future talk to us again. We'd love to have you.
0: Well, thank you guys. It's been a lot of fun. You got it, man. You're very welcome. This has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato.
2: And I am Chuck Stockstrom.
0: Thank you for listening.